certainly a, a privilege for me to be out here tonight to have this time of fellowship in this church. I did not know I was going to have this privilege until just a few days ago, and then all of a sudden it come along that I was to come over to this Beulah Tabernacle to speak. And looking at this tabernacle, I really like it and the way it's built up. They, uh, we're fixing to build a tabernacle at Jeffersonville, and I may send some of them up here to kind of look this over. I like this for our own place down there, brother. And then you see the nice building, and they met your pastor the first time knowingly, just in his study a few moments ago there, the rooms assigned. Friendly, nice, hospitality, and come in and hear these old songs of Zion being sang, and found out they were Canadians, and of course we just like glove on a hand. I certainly do appreciate being over here tonight. And no wonder it's a nice little church. A church is what's on the inside of it, really. That's what makes it up. We pass down the street many times, and we see a, a house, and sometimes you say, isn't that a lovely home? Now, it might look like a lovely house, but the home is the order of the house. You see, the order that's in it, order of the family. And that's where I think the house of God is. It isn't so much the beautiful temple, which we do appreciate, but it's the order that's on the inside of it. What kind of an order do they have? Are they really Christians, really worshiping the Lord, really loving? Is it a house of correction, the gospel being preached, and accompanied by the signs that Jesus gave us that would follow us? And I'm sure it's that way here at this Beulah Temple. When I think of the name of Beulah, it just reminds me of when I was just a boy. Uh, was with the girlfriend, and she'd take me up to the, to the Zion Baptist Church near Salem, Indiana. And uh, the song they sang was, uh, Oh, Beulah Land, Sweet Beulah Land. As on the high mountain, well, looks like finally I got to Beulah Land. <laughs> that was before I was saved. Now, I never will forget that fine spirit in that church, and I remember later on that Zion was near Salem also in the, in the Bible. So to be here tonight with our lovely pastor and Brother Grant, Canadian singers, Brother Bose, and many others, we just feel like we want a little time of fellowship around his word. I was trying to get Brother Grant to speak for me when I come in. I was a little hoarse and then speaking sometimes twice a day, and my meetings are just continually from place to place, and I just get tired. You know how it is, I'm sure. I was telling the other night, I was saying to Brother Grant, many times we want to go like a, a rocket, and then we fall like a rock. That's about the way we do it. So we have to slow up once in a while. Now, at this time, I was supposed to be this week in the CGIs, and then the 15th, I was again, or the middle of this month, 
in Sydney, Australia, New Zealand. But uh, I had to set it back for a few days, and that gave me the opportunity to come to Chicago to visit. The first time over on this, I suppose it's called the West Side, isn't it? South, South Side. Now I'm all turned around. <laughs> the South Side. And the ministry that Brother Joseph was speaking of, I'm sure is no mystery to you people because you've been in the meetings many times and what our Lord does. It's gracious. We do appreciate it with all of our hearts. On the road over tonight, I was talking to Brother Grant, and we were exchanging thoughts with him and Brother Jose about overseas and Africa and India and different places where we had been. And I was relating a case at India that happened, and that was on the platform. After that afternoon, I'd been interviewed by, I want to say, 17, it might have been seven because it was through an interpreter, that different religions was represented there that evening or afternoon. And all 17 of them was against Christian religion. Now you can imagine how you felt. I was in the temple of the James. Then there were the Sikhs, the James, the Muhammads, the Buddhas, and so forth. And every one was against Christianity. And most all of them believe in reincarnation. Therefore, they make little mops and sweep their walk as they go so they won't step on a little ant or anything because it might be a relative that's dying. Now, how would you ever preach a blood atonement or an antidote for sin to a person that doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, think it's wrong to step on a man. See, you could never do it. So I spoke my peace. I felt that I would have been a traitor to Christ if I had not have said something. So then that night at the gathering, we could not go outside the city because it had a law that to have police protection, we had to remain in the city. And the mayor of the city had come out, he's with me that afternoon, and many of the great leaders, the bishop of the Methodist Church, and many other Christian leaders, where we met at the Todd Hotel. And so they said, I have to have it in the city, and there were hundreds of thousands at the meeting to, to attend. You know we're estimating how many would be there because just as far as you could see was one mass of people. And there's two hours and something with guards on the side of the car to get from where the meeting started, pulled through with the car to get up to the place to speak. You can imagine how long that would take. They're just jamming it, pushing it, climbing on the cars, move a few feet, and then the guards and things to make the move. But when we got into the pulpit to start speaking, I spoke on the subject of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And gave what he was yesterday, and that we could expect the same today if he is the same. That he is not dead, but he has risen from the dead. And so when we could have no prayer cards give out, we just had to let them jam up the best they could, and the guards would bring up people. Well, after a few had passed and 
They had begun to see how the Holy Spirit would make known the conditions and what they had did. Then, of course, under the anointing, you could tell that the people were thinking it was a telepathy or something, because they have a lot of witchcraft and everything in India. You just get ready to believe anything, things that you didn't think you would believe when you get there, because everything is a religion of its own. They'll walk through fire, they'll take a lantern right through their mouth, take a sword and place it right through their heart and pour water right through it and run out on their backside and pull it out and don't even bleed. Or you can run up a tree and take a little boy out of a sack, father run up there and cut him to pieces limb by limb and drop it off and put it in a sack and you kick and let me out of here, Daddy. You get ready to bleed anything when you hit India. Devil workers. And don't you think they won't challenge you? They will. And you better know what you're talking about. There's where you, you, you can't do as you can in the United States, just get by with anything. You've got to be sure that it's right, or you don't say nothing at all. So tonight on the platform, you could begin to feel that the Ray Jaws and those sitting out there believed that, that was a telepathy. And uh, after a while, um, there was a leper came by. Now, I didn't know too much about uh, dealing with leprosy, only in Africa I had some experience. This little leper was just stubs of arms, his face all eat off of him, just come through his arms around me. I prayed with him, and as he left the platform, then the next come was a blind man. And the Holy Spirit told him who he was. I couldn't speak his name, just had to spell out the letters for his name. Told him how he had been in this condition for twenty years and was a worshiper of the sun. And he went blind, worshiping the sun, looking at it. And then that he was a beggar, had two children. All that was true. And then I said, you see, I cannot heal him because I cannot do what God has already done. For he was wounded for our transgression, and with his stripes we were healed. Divine healing is not something of a hocus-pocus or, or some little move or some little dressing of people packing their hands, but it is a undoubting faith that you have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a finished work that was done by Christ at Calvary. I might ask that, how many got saved during this revival you've had here? Some of you raise your hand. I'd say, how many have been saved ten years ago? You'd raise your hand. But that is one way is right, and another way it isn't right. You wasn't saved a week ago or ten years ago. You were saved 1,900 years ago. When Jesus died at Calvary, he expelled the sin of the world. But it'll never do you no good until you accept it. You just accepted it last night or ten years ago. And that's the same time that he was wounded for our transgressions. With his stripes we are healed. It's your faith and a work that's finished that God did through Christ for you at Calvary. It's completely. There's not a sinner here tonight for what's been saved. And you're still under the mercies of God as long as you're living and God dealing with you. But when you die and you go beyond that, then you're, you're in judgment. You've done judgment yourself. And healing 
you about a person here. If there's anyone here sick, every one of you is healed now. It's just as much as you ever could be healed. But it's your faith to believe and accept your healing that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions with his stripes you were healed. So no one can heal. I've never healed anyone in my life and never will. But I've had some direct answers to prayer a lot of times when I prayed for people. It's a prayer that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So there's no way for me to heal the man. And he was been gone twenty years. A Methodist doctor was present with examining. His eyes were white from being blind. And then as I offered the prayer for the brother and started him off the platform, it was the sovereign grace of God. There come a little shadow right over him, and I watched it, and it was a vision. There stood the man with his normal sight, just like anyone else. Yeah. Now, see, it was it was the grace of God that did it. Amen. That was the opportunity. That was my opportunity to speak to the people then. And I said, I was entertained today at the temple of the James and Seventeen different religions there downing our Christianity. And I said, now, tonight here is a man who's a worshiper of the sun that's blind. And you say that the Mohammedan religion is three times the size of Christianity, which is true. The Buddhas are far beyond Christianity. And Christianity ranks third or fourth place in the religions of the world. That's numberly. That's including Catholic and Protestant together. But I said, surely somebody's right and somebody's wrong. It's got to be. There is a true and living God. He's got a salvation for his people. And here is a man who has worshipped the, the creation instead of the Creator. We believe that. But he's blind. And he wants to come to the real, true God. I said, now I ask the Mohammedan priest to come here and to restore the sight of this blind man. And if he can do it, then this blind man will become a Mohammedan, and I will also, if he can restore the sight to this blind man. And I said, I also challenge the priest of Buddha, or of Jan, or any of the rest of the religions here, any of you leaders, come here, you holy man, and restore the sight to this man. For if there is a God who created him, and he wants to come back with the true heart to worship that God, surely. That God will restore his sight and put him back in conditions to worship him. Now, I would no means have said that if there hadn't been a vision that I know what I was speaking of. That's the way our Lord did. He said, I'll do nothing until the Father shows me first what to do. St. John 5, 19. No prophet or neither the Lord Jesus ever went about doing things just at random. Jesus could not lie because he was God. And he said, very, very, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing in himself but what he sees the Father doing. Right. Not hears the Father doing, but sees the Father doing. 
Elijah on Mount Carmel when he laid the bull out and everything he'd come out before the people and said, Lord God, I have did this all at your command. Always God, flesh ain't glory nowhere. And it was a vision. And that's the reason you could speak boldly, because God had said so. That settles it. So then, when all of them was real quiet, I said, this is an awful quiet group of people. And I said, now today you Mohammeds are trying to tell me how much greater the Mohammedan religion was than Christianity. Now let the priests come forth and do it, or any of the rest. I said, the reason they can't do it, the reason they're not coming is because they can't do it. And I said, neither can I do it. But the God of heaven that raised up his son, Christ Jesus, who is alive today and who I am representing, has shown me a vision that the man's going to receive his sight. Now, if he doesn't do it, then I'm a false leader. He should be run out of India. But I said, if he does do it, and all you people seeing how that your priest and, and your holy man are sitting quiet, I said, I, I want to see the man receive his sight. I don't want to argue your textbooks and your religion. I just want the, the man to be given his sight. And let the God, that be God of creation who made the human race, restore back his sight because it won't take a hoax. It'll have to be real because it'll have to be creative because he has no eyes. Don't be afraid. Our God is God. If he ever was God, he's God yet. And if he's God at all, he's God of the whole creation. And so when saying that, then I said, they won't say nothing, and I can't, but God has showed that this would be. Now, we'll see if it happens. And they bowed their heads, and when we prayed, the man's eyes come open could see as good as any person in here. Oh, I said, how many of you will receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior if this man's eyes come open? And just as far as you could see, tens of thousands of hands up in the air, and then with no cooperation amongst the churches, perhaps tonight 99 out of every thousand is back in the temples of the Buddha and so forth because of the lack of cooperation of man to get there and lead those people on into the churches. It's a pity that there's no cooperation among Christian people today when God tries to do something. That's the hardest thing I have found in the most misunderstanding thing that people will not cooperate because you're not of their denomination. It's a disgrace uh, to the world. Now, tonight, I never come over to talk on divine healing for you. I just come to speak to you a few minutes, get acquainted with you, that we would know one another, for we're just passing through this world one time, and we're to spend an eternity together hereafter. And now let us bow our heads just a moment for the word of prayer. O Lord God, creator of the heavens and earth, we come to thee just as humbly as we know how to come, with bowed heads to the dust where we were taken from, and some day of Jesus perish, we shall return. But knowing this, like Job of old, 
I know my Redeemer liveth, and at the last days he'll stand on the earth. Though if the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. We are so happy for that hope that lies within our bosoms tonight, that we someday shall see him who we love and believe, who is the unseen guest in this building tonight. Now thy word lays open before us, Lord, and we would ask you to bless your word, to circumcise the lips that would speak and the ears that would hear. Grant, Lord, if there be any here who is not a Christian, may they humbly surrender to thee. There be those here who have fallen away. May they come like the prodigal son back to the house tonight, to the Father's house. And we pray, Lord, for those that are sick, if there be any of those here are afflicted, that while the word be going forth, that they will receive Jesus and be made whole of their diseases. Bless this little Beulah temple. Bless this lovely pastor. And all of its deacons and the board and all the laity. May it long stand as a memorial to Jesus Christ and to his cause. May from here go missionaries and, and ministers that will help evangelize the world. Bless every effort that they put forth. And these brethren here, the sisters from Canada, the, the song leaders and, and the musicians, we pray, Lord, that you'll bless their ministry. Make it rich, Father. Give them souls farther higher because we believe that's the desire of their heart. Forgive us all of our shortcomings. And let the Holy Spirit visit us tonight while we wait on him further in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just to speak to you for a few moments, which I don't know just what time your service is let out. It's already almost nine. And tomorrow's a big day for us again, and I know it will be for you. And I want to give all of you an invitation. If you're ever around any of the meetings, why, come in, make yourself at home. If you're down around Jeffersonville, why, see us while you're there. These singers that sang so pretty in the music a while ago, drop in the tabernacle and let us hear some of that down that way. And Pastor, you know, you're welcome all. We want to turn to the 63rd Psalm just for a, a little uh, reading on a little familiar text. Oh God, God, my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen in thy sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better to me than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
I often wondered what David was talking about. Now, I remember the first time that I read that scripture that I just couldn't understand what David meant when he said, Because I love kindness is better to me than life. What could be any greater than life? If the Lord God tonight should come to me and say, I will turn you back from an old man to a young man of about 18 years old. I'll let you live a thousand years on the earth and give all the wealth of the world in your hands and promise you to never have a day of weary but all joy for a thousand years. Or I'll let you live 50 years more and make it to you beg your bread on the street, dragging along in sickness. But yet at the end I'll give you eternal life. I said, Lord, let me beg, let me drag, or let me suffer or anything just as long as I've got eternal life. Life is what conducts you, it's what makes your conduct. You just can't hide real life. There's no way to do it. Did you ever lay a sidewalk? Some of you men no doubt have done it. And just scoop up all the dirt and lay the sidewalk out, pour it with concrete. But then in the summertime when you go to cut your grass, do you know where the grass is the thickest at? Right by the side of that rock. It's twice as thick there as it is anywhere else. Why is it? Down beneath that concrete. You covered over some seeds, but just as sure as that sunshine begins to bathe the earth and the seasons right, that seed got life in it, and you can't hide life. It'll work its way right over those grains of concrete till it comes out so it can lift up its little head and praise God. You just can't hide life. That's the reason that you've got eternal life. They may bear you in the sea or cremate your body, but you'll live again when Jesus comes. There's no way to keep you down. You can't hide real life. I had a chaplain friend from the First World War. He was telling me, he said, Billy, one day, they had thrown up their mustard and chlorine gas in the First World War over in France. And he said we were out near La Salarine. And said it was been a, an awful day for me. It was Easter and all the gas just burnt down the trees and the grass and there was nothing alive. And he said it was a rainy morning and a nurse came to the room. And she had a, a big bunch of cow lilies in her hand. And she's passing by the bed to these wounded soldiers and giving each one a lily. Said those crippled boys and some of them burnt, some of them blind, would grab that lily and scream and cry because it was a token from home. 
that I couldn't stand it. I walked outside, and the major said, Chaplain, I'm going out to the front to check some tanks that was, or some vehicles that was pouring up, and to see if there's any of them that can be brought in, out into the no-man land where they moved the Germans back from that. So they went out there, and we went up out in the sidecar of a little motorcycle, and said when we stopped out there on the, the field, he said, I looked around and I thought, oh, if this isn't a desolate place. Said, there's not a leaf on a tree. There's not a sprig of grass to be found anywhere. And yet it's Easter. I said, I walked along and I kind of attracted to a little rock. I said, I turned it over with my foot. And said, what do you think that was under that rock? Said, there was a little Easter lily that had been hit under the rock all the time during the gas and the war. But I started to pull it, and I said, it's too sacred. But I knelt there and said, Lord, hide me in the rock of ages. Preserve my life, O Lord, as you have preserved the lily. Life, it's a great thing. Life bows your character. Some time ago, down in the Southland, where I'm from, they used to have slavery down there years ago. The, the African people brought over the, the Boers, rather, and, and they brought over the, the colored man from Africa. And they would sell him in the South for slaves. Oh, it was such a sin and such a wrong thing to do. But they become so common to they would just sell them like they do used cars on a lot. Just go out and, and uh, buy them, and brokers would come and buy them and take them, sell them, for, make money. Human beings to which Christ died for. And it was told this story that one day a broker came by a great plantation, and there was many slaves on the plantation, so he said to the the owner, he said, I, I would like to look over your slaves. Maybe I could give you some nice prices. The owner said, help yourself. And he goes out to look over the plantation, and the slaves was away from home. They'd been captured, taken away from mother, away from babies sometimes, mothers, away from husbands. I'm just brought over here and used them like brutes of labor. And they were sad. They know they'd never see Papa again, never see Mama, never see the baby again. They were slaves and aliens in a strange country. They had no spirit in them to work. And they would take whips and whip them to make them work. And they noticed one young slave a young man. They never had to whip him. He had his chest out, his chin up. He was right on the job. So quickly the broker said, I'd like to buy that slave. But the owner said, but he's not for sale. Well, said the, he's so much different from the other slaves. Said, is he a boss over the rest of them? And the owner said, no, he's not no boss. 
He's just a slave. He said, well, maybe you feed him just a little better than you do the rest of the slaves. And he said, no, he's out in the galley with the rest of the slaves. He's just a slave. Well, the owner said, what makes him so much different than the other slaves? And the owner said, I wondered that for a long time. But one day I found out the reason. Said, you know, over in the homeland, his father is the king of the tribe. And yet he's an alien, but he knows he's the son of a king. And he conducts himself like one. What are Christians to do? We're aliens. But our Father is the King, and we are sons and daughters of God. We ought to conduct ourselves like sons and daughters of God. When I see the church becoming so loose, and the women in their immoral dressing, and the man doing, it just grieves me because we are sons and daughters of God. And we are to act and walk and talk and conduct ourselves like that. When we get away from that, I'm afraid there's something wrong in us. We've lost the vision of who we are. Because the life that's in us is what guides us and directs us. So thinking of David saying that, that thy loving kindness is better to me than life, there must be two different kinds of life. Or, I would say like this, more than one kind of life. And some people think that this life is just uh, uh, consists of crowding, drinking, or running around, or going to dances, they call that life. I was conducting a meeting. I, I hate to go to this because some of my friends are sitting here from Canada. But I was in Canada, and the manager of the meeting is present now also, Brother Stockman, man, where I was holding a meeting at the ice arena. And they had put me up in a, in a hotel. And that afternoon when I come, I've been in Canada for quite a little while, and I didn't see the sin and the turning on as we've seen it here at home. And when I went down that night from where I'd been in the country, came down to the hotel, I noticed the Americans coming over, whiskey bottles flying everywhere. And when I come in that night from church, from the service, I got on the elevator and I'd been there for around a week. I'd never seen nothing like that. And the elevator was setting all around it, whiskey bottles and beer cans. And when the boy closed the door to take me up on the elevator, I looked around and he knew who I was and he said, it's rough. And I said, sometimes such characters as that makes me ashamed I am an American with such conduct as that. 
And he let me off on the floor, way up almost to the top, and it was a certain lodge here in America was having their uh, convention there in Canada. And when I got off the elevator, all the office carrying on everywhere. And way up at the end of the hall, there was two young women, I suppose in their late twenties or early thirties. And they just had on their underneath garments, with a bottle of whiskey in their hands, so drunk, and both of them with wedding bands on. Oh, of course, they're just having a little clean fun. That's sin! And they were trying to come down barefooted, no stockings, and just the underneath garment, with this whiskey bottle in their hand there, glare-eyed, and man trying to get out of the room, falling over him, trying to catch him like that, so drunk they could hardly get up. And I thought, isn't that a shame? But we call that in the state here just a little time of recreation. Maybe a daddy at home taking care of the baby. It's not only for the women, the man does the same. Sin is sin. I don't care where it is, it's sin, and it's wrong. And we are Christian nations, visiting our neighbors like that, with our lodges and so forth, and carrying on in such a disgrace as that. And I stopped. One young fellow staggered across and hit his head against the other side, fell back and forth, got over and saying all kinds of bad things. And these young women come on down and stop. I pulled back in a little place to watch. And these young women stopped right out in front of me. And they take each a drink out of the bottle, reach down and pulled up that little underneath skirt and soldier, put up in the alcohol. Whoopee! This is life! I stepped out in the floor and caught both of them by the hand. I said, I beg your pardon, this is not life, this is death. The Bible said, See that liveth in pleasures dead while she's alive. And there's too much of that kind of carrying on to our churches in the nations today and yet calling themselves Christians. That's the biggest stumbling block Christianity ever had. Not the bootlegger on the corner, we know he's branded, but the hypocrite that calls themselves a Christian and live in the church with such life as that with them. It shows that they've never been acquainted with the Lord Jesus, or they wouldn't do that. That kind of life is horrible. That can't be the kind of life that David was talking of. Some people think to make money. That's life. Make money, plenty of it. And after a while, you lose it and you take a pistol and blow your brains out. That can't be life. That's death. Some people think that they're young, dirty, and running out and dances and things, cutting up, turning on, immoral, next morning with a headache, heartache. Broke up home. That's not life. That's death disguised. That's the wolf in the sheep's clothes. That cannot be life. That's death. 
and the world deceived by those things. But the question is, my brother and sister tonight, what makes men and women do that? If they're mentally right, what makes them do that? What makes them crave to drink whiskey? What makes the American people smoke cigarettes when the Reader's Digest says that 133,000 is doomed this year for smoking cigarettes? But they go do it anyhow. Cancer on the rampage. Articles cancer by the carloads. And they sell cigarettes more every day. By a carton of cancer. A bottle of tuberculosis. And they seek and suck all those things for pleasure. Something's wrong. What is it? They can't help it. They say, if the devil can't get you all twisted up with some of that, then he'll take you and try to let you join a church somewhere to get away from it. And you're just as bad off. Trying to hide yourself under some church or some creed or some denomination. That's wrong. But what makes a man do it in the first place is because when God made a man he created him thus. He made a man to thirst. There's a little place in the heart that nothing will fill it but God. And man is thirsting for something, and that real thirst is for God. And nobody's got a right to try to quit that holy thirst which given it to the devil for the things of the world. Got the right trying to hide that thirst for joining the church. God's the only thing that'll fill that up. God, the Holy Spirit, is the only thing that can satisfy that thirst. Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's God trying to get to the human heart. And the devil tries to quit that. By letting them drink themselves to death, or run themselves to death, or do something else. But God created man to have that holy thirst. And if you won't take God, then you'll have to take something else to, to kind of appease that call. That's what makes a man that way. God made him to be a king. God wants to settle your heart stone. And you've got no right to let the devil put the things of his makings in you. Amen. You've got no right to try to satisfy. And let me say this, there's nothing that will satisfy but God. Amen. You can do what you want to, drink yourself crazy, but you'll never be satisfied until Christ takes his place Amen. in the human heart. Amen. That settles it. Then faith comes in. A lot of people see great churches, great denominations, the intellectual world. They look around, what they can see with their eyes. I was in a breakfast with Billy Graham some time ago in Louisville. And he said, took the Bible and said, this is God's standard. He said, I'll go to the city and I'll hold a revival. I'll have 20,000 converts in six weeks. Said, I'll go back. 
In another year, I haven't got 20 out of the 20,000. And then he said, Paul went into the city and had one convert and come back the next year and had 20 out of that one. He said, now here's what Billy said. With a bunch of preachers, about 300 of them, he said, it's you lazy bunch of preachers that sit in with your feet up on the desk and don't go out and visit the people. So that's the reason they don't stay. And I thought, Mr. Graham, my gracious brother, a man who I take off my hat to as a gallant soldier of God. Yes. But Paul had something different. Paul didn't go out and visit him after his converts because he left the city and come back to that one convert. But what he'd done to that convert, he led him into something that set his soul fire. Not the lazy preacher. If he had the same thing, he wouldn't be lazy like that. He'd be on the march for Christ, burning something in his heart that wouldn't let him still. We just take him to their intellectuals. In the Garden of Eden, the devil chose a man's head. God took his heart. The devil tries to show him what he can see with his eyes. God in his heart makes him believe things by faith that he cannot see. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, man wants to see a big place, a, a great something with a psychological effect to it. God isn't in psychology. He doesn't work with the mental powers. You'll never be able to reason out God. You believe God by faith. Speaking at a breakfast this morning, I said the reason men go and join churches and put their names on them is because they're trying to bypass the new birth. They don't want the new birth. Oh, some of the theologians today figure out what they call the new birth, shake hands and put their name on a paper and believe a declaration of creed. But the new birth is to be die and to born again a new, a new creature in Christ. Anybody knows that when a baby's born, I don't care if it's on a barn floor or on a skull pit or in a, a decorated hospital room, it's a mess. I don't care where it's born. But what is it? It's a mess, but it brings life. That's what we need today is a birth, a spiritual birth. It's a mess. But it brings life, Christian life, new life, life, a sacrificial life. Some people say, I wouldn't belong to one of those full gospel churches. They cry and shout and jerk their hands around and things like that. That's all right. They may act funny, but they've been born. They may look like a mess, but they got life. That's the thing. As long as you've got life. Be satisfied. Watch the way he acts, the places he goes. You know the bird by its habits. A crow and a dove could have no fellowship. Their diet's different. And the Christian can't mix with the world. A crow's a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a is a deceiver. A crow can sit on an old dead carcass and eat all day long and fly out the wheat field and eat wheat with the dove. But the dove can eat wheat, but he can't eat the dead carcass. Why? He hasn't got any gall. 
He couldn't digest it. And I saw as a Christian, the bitterness was taken from him. He couldn't digest the world. But a hypocrite can live in sin all day long and come into church at night and shout like the rest of them. That's the hypocrite. Now, when you're born again, you don't have to be a hypocrite. You are a new creature. The gall of bitterness and the desire of the world is taken from you. Oh, thy love kindness is better than life. Because I long to see thy power like I have seen in thy sanctuary. My soul thirsts after thee like a dry land where no water is. David was a shepherd. He was a woodsman. He knew the action of wildlife. Now, we may have some hunter brothers in here. I am a hunter. And now, down in Africa, they have the deer, robots. Now, when they have wild dogs, we have them here called wolves. The deer feeds usually in a herd, and there's always a watchman on guard all the time, watching. You see, usually they'll go out and keep on the alert. And usually it's a doe. She's watching her young. If some of our American mothers just kept on their guard with their daughters like the mother doe does her little fawn, we wouldn't have so much juvenile delinquency. Then they notice the wild dogs come after this deer. And they slip up real easy. The leader of the pack a slip up real easy watching where the, the deers are. And if they can get a deer stumbled out that he's so interested in what he's doing, he'll never notice the dog coming up. Because the dog's smart, he'll get the wind in his face. Or the wolf. You slip real easy. How many times have I watched them do it? And they'll slip up real easy. And they're watching. And after a while, that little deer uh, senses in her begins to say that there's trouble near. Yet she can't smell the dog. Neither can she see it. But she knows that something's wrong. Because she's a deer and she knows that where danger is. And there's nobody ever deliberately walked into sin without God warning them first. Something will tell you. And tonight, there's a many a young girl out listening and the wolf slipping up on her. You know, they got what they call a wolf whistle. A wolf whistle. And they'll whistle these young girls and they'll go out on the street and put on clothes that isn't becoming to a young lady. And shame on you mothers who will let them do it. Talk about the illiteracy of Kentucky, where I come from. Some of those old mammies up there. You let her girl go out and do that shit, blister her from one side to the other with a barrel slap. That's right. But oh, you think she's popular, you learn how to cut, dance, and do all these little things and put the clothes on her like that, and then she comes up in disgrace. You are to blame. Exactly right. What we need tonight is the old-fashioned mammies like we used to have in America. We need godly praying fathers and mothers that will take their children before God instead of some... Uh, Elvis Presley show or something. Whistles at the girls to make them turn around. They think they're cute. Honey, if you only realize that's a hell of hell. 
Right. Some of you young men, a little painted up Jezebel. Out there you think she's cute. She might be looked back on the outside, you'll catch her when her face is washed. You might not think so much about her. Maybe a heart in her is as black as the smutty walls of hell. You can't tell. Don't look at that. That's the old one pass away. Look for something that's real and genuine. See if that girl is born again. If she isn't saved, then have nothing to do with her. And do the same thing by a young man. The trouble are, ranks of, of Christians today is breaking down, marrying and intermarrying. And it's such a mess there is nothing can straighten it off. We're lightning for judgment. God has killed the whole thing of these guys with an atomic bomb. And your names is written on it in Russia now. And the whole world's trembling and wondering what's the matter. The wolf's slipping up. We flirted too much with the rest of the world, with the things of the world. Now, the next thing we know, this little girl wanted to wander out from the flock, where she had protection, away from the church, where she could, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, will wash through the water of the Word. And then, if you get away and start staying home from church and watching television on Wednesday night when you got a prayer meeting going on, right then you're on your road out. When your desires become more to see some television program than it does to hear the gospel, there's something wrong in your soul. Right. True. And those big things will cut that little deer's neck. And 
You'll make a leap and then fall and cover over with dogs in a few minutes. Wolves that pick the bones of the little fellow. That's the way Satan does it. If he can ever get close enough to you once rat him into there, the hounds of the hell will jump out on him and pick everything there is about you all. All your morals and all everything you've got, you'll lay bleached and defiled before God. Now, sometimes, if the little deer is on the job, very smart, she'll see the, deer, the dog coming, she'll jump. And when she does, the dog will see go to miss the ear, the juggler vein here. He'll grab her in the side. Well, that's about the middle balance of the deer. The hindquarters is heavier than the front, but the front has the neck and hand. So that's about the middle of the deer. He'll grab it. He'll shake back and forth like that. The deer can't run. It's out of balance and it'll fall. And then he's covered again by the dogs. Now, if the little deer is on to its job, and as soon as the dog grabs it in the flank, if she'll jump sideways real quick, or raise up, just make a high fly jump and not try to run, just jump up or jump sideways, the piece of meat will pull out of the dog's with the dog's mouth, then she's got to run for life. That's what David is speaking of. Did you ever see a wounded deer? Down in the south they hunt them with dogs. I think that's a bad thing, but they hunt them with dogs. And when a deer is wounded, if that deer can ever get to water, it'll live. You'll never catch it. Because you'll keep drinking water and it'll curdle the blood and you won't bleed no more. David said, as the heart thirsts for the water brook, my soul thirsts after the old God. Could you imagine a little deer with the blood streaming out of it? And it's running down the houses right behind it. And it's got its blue nose up, sniffing everywhere. If I could just smell water, about to get the water, I'll die. Once the water is safe. It's got to find water or die. David said, As a heart painted for the water brook, my soul thirst after the old God. Yeah. When men went and get to a place that they've got to have God or die, you'll get to the water brook. Right. That's right. If you're sick and you need healing, if you're in a desperate condition, I can say there is a fountain filled with blood. Come, come in manual veins. Where sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stain. It's life everlasting. To know him, not to know his book, not to know his church, not to know his creed, but to know him. Know him, your personal Savior, the one that fills you with the Holy Spirit. It puts life in you to walk forward. That's the life that David is talking about. My lips shall praise thee because our loving kindness is better to me than life. My lips shall praise thee. Let us bow our heads just a moment. I feel that message just a moment ago with something cutting me off and saying this is the time. We're going to go to prayer. I wonder how many of you would like to be remembered in prayer just now. If you'd raise up your hands and say, Remember me, Brother Branham, to God. God bless you. That's good. God bless you. How many of you that's not a Christian would like to have a, a 
fellowship with Christ. Maybe you've joined church somewhere. Maybe you've been even immersed in water. But yet you know that that thirsting and hungering for God isn't in your heart. But you'd like to have it there. Would you just raise up your hands and say, Remember me, Brother Branham. Pray for me tonight. God bless you, lady. God bless you, sir. God bless you, lady. God, That's good. God bless you. That's fine. Is there a backslider here? Yes, back in there, sister. God bless you. Is there a backslider here to say, Brother Branham, I've wandered away. I don't want to think I was a hypocrite, Brother Branham, but I, I really am not living where I should live. If I would leave this building tonight and go home, and I'd feel my heart acting real funny, I'd call the doctor, and he'd come up and say, it's a heart attack. She's dying. He's dying. It might be that way. Brother Branham, I, I don't want it to happen like that. I'm not ready yet to go. I, I'm not straight up with God. I, I want a little closer walk. Would you raise your hand and say, God, remember me? God bless you. That's good. Hands everywhere. I'm going to ask the pianist and the organist, whichever it is, to come to the organ just a moment. The pianist, one. And I'm going to pray. Is there something here really just that's living with God but would like to have a little closer walk with God? Just say, Lord, remember me. My soul is thirsty, oh Lord. Uh, my, I'm, just, I'm just so thirsty, I don't know what I'll do, Lord. Help me, I'm, I'm in desperate need. I, I want you to come. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. No other fountain. For sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. A dying thief, he rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. There may I, though by he washed all my sins away. Let's keep our heads bowed just a moment now, while the music sweetly playing. Oh, boy, lay dying on the field one day, a soldier. Another Christian moved up beside him and he said, You're dying, buddy. But I know it. But are you a Christian? He said, I, I once was. He said, What happened? He said, I don't know. He said, I got away from John 3.16, but it never did get away from me. That's it, brother. If you've ever tasted the Lord is good, it'll never leave you. You may wander out. But it'll never leave you. Lord, be merciful unto us, Lord. This, no doubt, will be the last time that some of us, Lord, will ever see each other on this earth. There are those here tonight that I'll never look at them again until this sermon is played on God's great recording machine at the day of the judgment. And the great film will be shown, and there will be the hands up. Lord, there will be a witness that they believe you and they want you. Now you have said, He that will come to me, I will no wise cast out. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me has eternal life, and shall never come to the judgment, but pass from death unto life. I know, Lord, that no one could have raised their hands. Without you seeing it. And they broke every scientific rule when they 
raise their hands, because according to science their hands are supposed to hang down. But there was the Spirit by the side of them, the Holy Spirit, said, raise up your hand and raise. Raise your hand, breaking the scientific rule, because why? There is a life within them that's made a decision for the Creator, and they've raised their hand. Receive them, Father God. And it is also written...